And now, live from Atlanta, Georgia, everyone's social media friend, it's Deb Creer. Every week, Deb talks with the movers and shakers, the experts, the best of the best in social media, bringing you all of the latest tips, techniques, and trends for successfully using social media. In social media, there's only one constant, Deb Creer. Good morning, good morning, everyone. I am Deb Creer. I'm the socialite, and I am passionate about working with professionals to show them how to promote themselves and their businesses by using social media. And as we sometimes do on this program, we're going to deviate a little bit because this is a great topic that I have today, and it's, it's about how to really be successful in a business that you love and to follow your passion with it. And so we'll be talking today with author Susan Baranchini Mo. So welcome, Susan. How are you? Thank you. I'm fine. Thanks for having me on the show, Deb. Well, this is going to be fabulous because I love your book and we're going to talk in great detail about it. But before we jump in, let me tell folks just a little bit about you. <laughs> so Susan Baranchini Mo is the best-selling author of Business in Blue Jeans, How to Have a Successful Business on Your Own Terms in Your Own Style. She is the CEO of Business in Blue Jeans, a consulting firm helping companies gain visibility, improve the way their businesses are run, and implement key marketing strategies. She was recently named one of the top 20 digital marketing experts for 2015 by the Online Marketing Institute. Susan is also a Guinness World Records title holder, and of course we'll have to talk about that. And she and her businesses have been featured in Red Book Magazine, USA Today, MSN Living, Investors Business Daily, and Social Media Examiner, among others, and on ABC. You can find more of Susan's business resources at businessinbluejeans.com. So again, Susan, welcome. Thank you. Well, Let's just jump right in. Okay, we'll get the, the elephant out of the room first, because it is that Guinness Book of World Records title holder question, um, and then we'll jump into the business stuff. So tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> um, I hold the record for the longest uninterrupted live video webcast, <sighs> and it was 36 hours, 23 seconds. And it was very long. Um, I brought in some wonderful speakers and authors, um, Michael E. Gerber of The E-Myth and Bob Berg of The Go-Giver and Endless Referrals and mm -hmm. Larry Winget and David Meerman Scott and uh, Chris Brogan and a very long list of wonderful speakers who came in and spoke. And, and basically what we created was a master's class in business and marketing and all the things you need to, to know to be a successful small business owner. And it was a really wonderful event, a lot of fun, and we broke the record. Great. Well, and it's funny because when I have guests on and I tell them we're going to be doing this program 58 minutes without interruptions <laughs> and without commercial breaks, I often get this, you know, and I knew with you, this was a piece of cake. Please, don't change. <laughs> I know, I know. Come on, Dad, so, let's push the envelope. <laughs> I know. Let's go for 58 minutes. <laughs> for 59. Oh, my gosh. I know, I know. You know, and, and so, you know, but, you know, let's, so now that we've, we've discussed, oh, actually, how do, if, if somebody wants to actually view that, I'm assuming that they can view it in chunks as opposed to they have to sit and watch all 36 hours. Is there a way for people to, to get that? Because it's, as, as you said, fabulous resources. Indeed. Well, so here's what happened. The, um, the company that we used to record the video um, mm -hmm. online, so it was broadcast online, but we also had a company on standby at the event who, mm -hmm. who were, they were filming the event and for, for the purpose of the, the world record. And so the company that did the event online um, unfortunately, their server crashed, and I don't know if it had to do with a 36-hour-long file, but um, they, they lost the, the visual recording of the event. However, we have audio recordings of the event, mm -hmm. and we have been working for quite some time to edit those and, and break them down to make them available right. on the Business in Blue Jeans website and, and expect to have those available shortly. So right. basically, if people want to, um, to know when those go live, they should just sign up for my email list and, and they'll get notified as soon as, as soon as they're available. 
perfect. You know, because it really is, I'm sure, an absolutely fabulous resource. It's amazing. Honestly, the people who presented, many of them are, are dear friends, and there's a lot of unexpected content in there. Uh, mm -hmm. Unexpected insofar as one of my clients at the time um, was, uh, he, he has a business where he is, he's a singing instructor, but he works a lot with speakers because we don't often think about warming up our voices and mm -hmm. taking care of our voices. And so he launched a, a side business helping speakers to protect their voices. And so he did a presentation in the middle of the night on ways to take care of your voice. And it was wonderful. Definitely. I'm going to have to check that out because it, it sounds like it's fabulous. Yeah. So I will look to your website for that. Great. <laughs> so speaking of your website, mm -hmm. it's Business in Blue Jeans. How did you come up with that name and that concept? Right. So when I first went out into business, um, my, my, my business has been sort of an evolution. So I started mm -hmm. as a web developer and trainer. And um, I moved into consulting for magazine publishers, and then I got carpal tunnel, so I had to do something different. <laughs> so I uh, went back for some training. I have a master's degree in social psychology, and, mm -hmm. and so I went back for a little more training, and um, I launched a coaching practice. And so I, I really thought, this is what I will do with my life. I will be a coach. But life has a way of telling you what you're supposed to do. And so the clients that came to me were business owners and entrepreneurs. It just was who, who found me. And I have the spirit and heart of an entrepreneur, so I think it made sense that they were attracted to me. Um, but they also have, uh, business owners and entrepreneurs, as you know, have other needs. And they don't just want to be coached. They also have a, a deep-seated need for how do I? So <laughs> um, because it was early days, coaching was new, the web was relatively new in business, and, and so people mm -hmm. wanted to know, you have this great-looking website. How do I get one like that? How do I market the way you market? How do I do the things that you're doing? Because mm -hmm. I've always kind of done things in sort of a cutting-edge way. And so my business evolved um, from inner build, which was about building internally so that we can do more and, and get rid of all the internal junk, what I call brain junk. And, and it moved into more business related conversations. And so I needed a new brand that would, would be relevant to that. And so I thought a lot about what it is that I like and what I like to do and the kinds of people I like to work with. I work from home. I like to wear my jeans. I like to be mm -hmm. kind of in that space of you know, I can, I can do anything when I'm wearing jeans. I can dress them up. I can, you know, clean my garage. You know, I can kind of, they're, they're, they're the workhorses of any wardrobe. And so I wanted to have that semblance of, you know, you can kind of do it any way you want. I also right. wanted to represent strength, durability, um, lasting. Um, and, and I think that the denim is a fabric that kind of does that. It and mm -hmm. is that. And so it all just kind of came together. And I think I, I may have had a conversation with someone in which, as I was developing my brand, which branding is a very frustrating process for anyone who's been through it, you know, it can be a very painful, creative, stressful process. Right. And wondering if you've come up with the right brand is always a, a, a doubt. And, and I have this thing where I come up with great names, but I always have to wait until the one smacks me in the mm -hmm. face like a brick. So right. um, usually my brand names come when I'm, you know, doing laundry or cleaning my closet mm -hmm. or something, you know, mindless like that. But in this case, I was on the phone with someone and I said, you know, what I really just want to do is I just want to, I like to roll up my sleeves, get into the business. I just want to do business in my blue jeans. Do I have to wear a suit? And then all of a sudden I went, whoop, rewind that, <laughs> rewind that. What did I just mm -hmm. say? Business in blue jeans. That's good. Right. And I liked it. And, and it has, has served me very well. <laughs> well, and you, know, you, you talk about branding in your book. And I think it's, it's very interesting because in your book, which is Business in Blue Jeans, the, the, one of your sections talks about naming your business. And your book is clearly for people who are starting a business, but it's also for people who have been in business. And so that was, was one of the things that, that I thought was valuable. But when you talk about naming, Part of it is the fact that it has to make sense for who your target audience is. And I really want to talk more in depth in a, in a moment about target audience. But, you know, we've seen those cutesy names mm -hmm. or the names of, you know, career consulting. That's not my business name. <laughs> <laughs> but we've seen those names where you, if you just see the name, 
you have absolutely no idea what the company does. Now, you know, you can't always say everything about it, but I love that concept. So talk to us more about why that is so important, that that's kind of how you, you initially connect with people is with your business name. Right. Well, and I think it's, 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 it's a funny thing. You know, these days we have an awful lot of um, interesting brand names and it kind of is becoming this trend, especially in the sort of cutting edge software app industry to come up with a name that no one really knows what it is. And so right. um, I was just using a, a, um, a service called Nitrous. And, you know, what even is that, right? So right. it's a, and what it is, it's a software platform and you, you can do editing on their website, which is great. Mm. Um, but um, it's really interesting that we, we, you know, we have all these companies that have these obscure names and nobody really knows what it is. Um, a lot of people are trying to, you know, kind of create names that make sense to people. Um, and, and I think the question becomes, you know, we, when you hear a name like Nitrous or, you know, Yahoo, Yahoo and Google are made up words. Nobody knew what they meant. Right. Of course, now we do. But it's a, it's a, we're at a point now where we start to associate these nonsense words with a really cutting edge app industry. And when you're talking about your own business, you really do have to think about, you know, what are the, what's the mission of this business and who am I trying to reach? And is this name going to really explain to them that I know what their needs are and I can meet those needs very well? Mm-hmm. And so you, you really have to ask yourself, is, is this the right brand to reach my audience? Now, a lot of people go at this the, the wrong way insofar as they're thinking, um, is this a brand that expresses me? Right. And, and that's not the direction you want to go in because mm-hmm. nobody cares if it expresses you. What they care about mm-hmm. is, can you meet my needs? Can you do what I need you to do? Mm-hmm. And so as much as, you know, there's, a, there's really a balance, you do want it to be organic and make sense to you and you want to like your business name, but it's more important that your audience likes your business name. Right. The other piece is, um, you know, when we're looking at uh, building a website for a business and you want to get traffic to that website, obviously, otherwise, why put the expense into uh, building a website? Um, when, when you do that, you want to have a website that is keyword rich because right. that can has the potential to make you a category killer. I have a client now who bought a domain name for a substantial amount of money because it was specifically extremely keyword rich. And mm-hmm. by putting useful content at that domain name, they were able within five years to build that domain name to 250,000 visitors a month. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, that's just, I mean, they've, they've done good content, but they haven't done much else. And so, you know, that's why they brought me in was because it, mm-hmm. you know, it was the most wonderful playground for me in the world. They came to me and said the opposite of what everyone says to me, mm-hmm. because everyone comes to me and says, we built this website and no one's coming to it. What do we do? These guys came to me and said, we have a website that, Tons of people come to, but we aren't making any money from it. Can you help? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, yes, I can help. (laughs) I'd love Mm -hmm. to. So, um, you know, I think, you know, the keyword in the domain name is important. And if you have a keyword in your business name, all the better. Well, and it's interesting. I had a discussion on Facebook a couple of weeks ago with someone who she is her business, you know, kind of like I am my business. Mm -hmm. You are your business. And uh, well, actually, you you have a, a larger business, but you know, her comment was, should she use her name as her URL? And the reason she was asking that question was it was not available, but she could buy it for a thousand dollars. So her question was, should I buy it for a thousand dollars? My response was, what are you selling? <laughs> if it's something where one client is a thousand dollar client, then you know, maybe that's that's an option. If it's it takes ten thousand people to make that thousand dollars back, well, then you know she might need to consider something different. And you know, but I told her I said, you know, the thing to remember is we Google somebody's name when we're looking for them, and if they found somebody else doing something else, or or worse, doing something similar, then she would lose them. You know, so that was kind of that whole thing was, you know, should she have her name as that URL? And the funny thing is, I'm not sure what she decided. I think she decided to to go with a variation of her name, mm-hmm. which, you know, and, and then, of course, they had the whole big discussion. Should it be dot net dot U.S. Oh, you know, that's all not of those even other a conversation. Well, and and I said, com. yeah, you know, people, you automatically type dot com. Our fingers have been trained. You know, we don't type dot net. We don't, you know, we might type dot org if we know it's a nonprofit. But for the most part, we type dot com. And I said, so no, don't go with dot net dot US dot anything else. I like dot co. That's always entertaining. But 
You know, I, I, and so that was really an interesting discussion because she was her brand. And, you know, it, it and the, the interesting part was she is uh, from another country and she had a lot of people that were in this conversation from many countries. And so it was, it was very interesting because some of them said, I never look for somebody by their name. I look for their business name, you know, and, and all these various things. So that was it was really pretty interesting. It is an interesting question, uh, the, the personal brand versus business brand question. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that um, I did not have my own name website until after my brand was established. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly you can. There, there are, you know, and, and certainly if you're a celebrity, you should do that. But, right. um, you know, because then people are looking for you and they will find your brands as well. Um, mm-hmm. However, uh, nobody really looks for the it's unusual, let's say, for people to look for the person. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that usually is something that comes later, although there are people who have, have gone, the, the, you know, started with the personal brand and built businesses from there. I think it, from, from my perspective, um, it makes sense to build a business brand. It's, it's easier to sell if you at some point decide you want to retire right. and you have an asset mm-hmm. that you would like to release then it makes sense to have a business name. I mean, certainly, you know, when you look at like the Brian Tracy's and the Jack Canfield's of the world, yes, they can sell their name. Brian Tracy, you know, can license his content all day long. But I think, you know, as a a business owner, when you when you think about your business, you want to think about building something that is more substantial than just you and Mm -hmm. can stand the test of time. And if at some point you become well-known enough, certainly you can go off and and build your own name brand. Now, when I went off to do that, it was because I had other business interests besides business in blue jeans that I wanted to connect under the umbrella of me. Um, Mm -hmm. And and because I had established my name as a, a, a known person, people know who I am. I'm not, you know, it's not like I'm you know, famous. I'm not a celebrity. I've been on TV, but, <laughs> but I guess you've been on, on the millionaire show. Yeah. And that was a really fun thing to do. I would never have <laughs> ever imagined I would do that, but <laughs> thank you, Guinness. But um, I think it's, it's just, you know, and in terms of the .com issue, .com is certainly the, the number one. And if you can get it, you should get it. Um, if you have software as a service, you can get away with something like a .io. Um, you can get away with a few other things. Um, you know, there are other other options there. But like I said before, you know, sort of the, the software app space is kind of a different space that allows you to do things that you couldn't normally do in a normal business space, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So, right. yeah. So, But I think the, the personal brand thing, um, it's sometimes I think it's a cop out because people don't want to come up with a really great brand and they're afraid that they can't. Um, and I've had some clients who have done that, and they wish that they hadn't. But if you come up with a really good brand that's memorable, people will remember you. And and especially, you know, there there are some of us who have complicated names that are hard for people to spell. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Some of us choose, like, you know, to, to go with that. But if you look at people like that, like Mike Michalowicz is a great example, and we joke about our ridiculous names, and we joke with Gary Vaynerchuk that we're in a, a club together of, of ridiculous names. And Mike did not make his name as Mike Michalowicz. Um, mm-hmm. He made his name on the toilet paper, uh, toilet paper entrepreneur. Um, ah. I think Gary made his name in, in wine. I think it was wine.com or wine TV or something. Yes. And mm-hmm. so, you know, none of us made our name on our name. We made our name on our business. And then mm-hmm. the name came later. So I, I guess that's my opinion about where, you know, you should start with it unless you're a celebrity and people are going to mm-hmm. look for you by your name. Well, and I'm a speaker. So, you know, my website is debcareer.com because people look for me as my name. But you're you're so right. You know, most of the time they're looking for that business name. And what I love about uh, Business in Blue Jeans is you also have a tagline that's a little bit more descriptive, which is strategies for a more than comfortable level of success. So right there, you just told everybody everything they needed to know about why they need to investigate your website more and, and the, the services that you provide. Right. And, and here's the other thing um, in terms of um, people looking for you. They're not like there. There are certainly going to be people who will look for Deb Career. That's clear. Right. You're a speaker. Mm-hmm. People have seen you speak. They know who you are. Obviously, they'll search for you. Right. But there are going to be a lot of people who don't know your name right. and they're going to search for 
you know, female social media, social media right. female speaker. Because mm-hmm. let's be honest, Deb, there are people who actually need to fill quotas or fill out panels know, or too right. many men. Mm-hmm. So they look for us, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, they, they are going to look for that. So you have to be mindful of those other keywords mm-hmm. and, you know, make sure that, you know, you're, you're coming up in those searches because people, right. people don't often look for Susan Barancini Mo unless they rerun, you know, who wants to be a millionaire from that mm-hmm. episode. Like I've had that happen like one time. One person emailed me. I mean, lots of people emailed me and said, I saw you on the show. But um, usually it's just friends and family. Mm -hmm. And I did have one very sweet person email me and ask me for an autographed picture, which I thought was so lovely. But that's the only, it's happened one time. Mm-hmm. And, and so people aren't looking for me. That was like the coolest thing that's happened to me. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one does that. Right. So, but, but, but people don't look for me. They look for, you know, business coach. They look for digital marketing strategist. They look for, you know, speaker. They, they aren't looking for me personally and right. that's fine right. with me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and you know, it's, it is so important to have, as you mentioned, all those key words and it's, you know, it's not buried in the text. Right. It needs to be, you know, one of the very first things. And, you know, we won't go into Google and how Google changes their algorithms and their searches like every other day. You know, and then they give them cutesy names, which I think is just hilarious. But, you know, it, it is something that a business owner needs to think about. But let's take a step back because it, you start your book with talking about something you call brain junk. And I loved it. I actually read that, those, that, that information several times because I thought it was so important. So first, what is brain junk? And then what the heck do we do about it? Yeah, well, brain junk is, I, I made it the first chapter for a reason. It's because it's mm-hmm. the first thing everybody should be looking at. Um, and it's the one thing that if you haven't sorted it out, it will sabotage you every single time before you get started. Right. Or at least at some point along your journey. So it's super important. Brain junk is the mental baggage, that clutter, the voices in your head, the messages that you, you've learned along the way in life uh, that, that keep you from achieving success or achieving the mm-hmm. goals that you've set out for yourself. And so whether it's literally a message that you hear, like, you can never do that. Or right. I, I'm, I don't know enough to do that, or I don't have enough money to do that, or I'm, I'm, I'll never be smart enough to do that. Or it's just an underlying current of belief that mm-hmm. kind of goes along in, your, in the way that you perceive the world and yourself and your place in it. Um, a, a piece of brain junk can be overt or kind of covered. And so mm-hmm. we need to look at those things because those are the things that determine how, how successful we're able to be, what we're mm-hmm. able to accomplish, the goals we set out for ourselves. So, for example, um, clients often come to me and have ideas about what their business can be. I certainly, from a, from a third-person perspective, I can look at an idea and I can tell if it has a lot more potential than they're seeing. Um, and, and it's unusual for someone to come to me and have grandiose notions and, and mm-hmm. to be thinking too big, although – you know, you and I have been around. We we know the the there are an awful lot of um, people in our industry who make big promises and get people that have very big ideas that they think they can jump from you know zero to a hundred. Right. And and mm-hmm. it's a, a terrible idea and a terrible misconception. But at some point, you you can probably get to a hundred. You just have to know how to, what the steps are between in between. Um, mm-hmm. So I think. Um, people come to me and have these ideas about themselves and their place in the world and, and their ideas about whether or not they're able to even create a business. So brain duck is super important to address. Um, the, in the book, I, I do have a lot of exercises and homework assignments, not, not just in that chapter, but throughout the entire book. Right. Because I wanted people to um, have the experience of working with me one-on-one because a lot of people – I get a lot of requests and, and, you know, whether it's because my calendar is full or because, you know, I'm, I'm not the, I'm not the most expensive coach in the world. I'm also not the cheapest coach in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and certainly only half of my business is coaching the other half being digital marketing strategy. And so mm-hmm. I have to, you know, protect that time a little bit. So I can't help everyone that comes to me. And so I wanted right. an option that I could give people and say, I can't work you into my schedule right now or, um, you know, my rates are this. And if they're not, that's not in your budget, here's a, a way, an option for you. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the book is kind of designed that way. 
And so that chapter has a lot of exercises and ideas for, for how to, I, I don't believe we can always overcome all of our brain junk because some of that mm-hmm. stuff is so deeply seated and programmed at right. such a profoundly fundamental level that it's incredibly mm-hmm. difficult to completely get rid of it. But uh, certainly you can learn to manage the stuff that you can't get rid of. You can get rid of a lot of it. And then what you can't get rid of, you can learn to manage. And we do mm-hmm. that by consistently reminding ourselves of, you know, the, the successes we've had in life. And so when you have the negative moments where you're not sure, or you don't believe in yourself or you're doubting yourself, we, um, I encourage my clients to have a success inventory that they can go back to and they can kind of look at that repository of successes they've had and remind themselves there's a reason that they're good at what they do. There's a reason that they're well-regarded and respected. And there's mm-hmm. a reason that they can, you know, overcome this idea because entrepreneurs, especially women, especially, we have these ideas that um, it's, it's a very prevalent issue that we think we're frauds. Even mm-hmm. when you're extremely successful, you have every indication in life that you are, you know, doing amazingly well. This is something Sheryl Sandberg covered really well in the book Lean In. Mm-hmm. And we, we, no matter how successful you get, even, you know, here's Sheryl Sandberg, you know, what was she, CTO or CIO of Facebook? Right. I mean, come mm-hmm. on, <laughs> it doesn't get right. much more successful mm-hmm. than that. But she too experienced this feeling like I'm a fraud, I'm going to get found out. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that's the kind of thing that can keep you from, you know, taking a step forward. And so we really do want to address those things. And, and that's something that a, a success inventory can really help with. So right. lots of exercises in the book. <laughs> Well, and, you know, especially as women, there are a lot of things that we hear, and, and it is kind of a generation thing. I think that, you know, the the, the, the younger listeners and, and, you know, people like that aren't hearing things as much, but, you know, I tended to hear things like, well, you know, you got that promotion because you were lucky. Mm-hmm. You got that promotion because you were a woman, mm-hmm. or, you know, then it went downhill from there. <laughs> Who'd you sleep with? You know, all of those various things, and, you know, and, and sometimes – it starts, as you said, you know, very early, you know, you were as, as a little girl, it's, well, you got that A because you were lucky or who'd you cheat from, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so many things like that. And, and I love the term brain junk because that is what it is. It is junk. Um, you know, and, and as you said, you know, sometimes we never get rid of it. You always kind of have those little voices in your head going, yeah, but but I love how you talk about okay, tamp those down. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, and the other and thing, don't pay attention to you them. You really have to. Um, the, the the one thing that I've learned over the years of managing my own brain junk is that you can you can get rid of a lot of it, and 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 there are exercises and strategies for doing that. But the mm-hmm. best strategy for getting rid of brain junk is mm-hmm. facing your fear and doing the thing anyway and mm-hmm. racking up more and more successes. And right. sometimes, like when I look at my inventory of successes, I remind myself that some of those successes could have been perceived as failures. So, for example, mm-hmm. um, I you know, might come up with a great idea for a client and the client might not take that idea. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't mean it's a, not a great idea. Right. I still came up mm-hmm. with a great idea that I'm proud mm-hmm. of. Um, I have, uh, there's a, a, um, I'm sure you know the name Seth Godin mm-hmm. and, um, I had a podcast for a long time and I emailed Seth all the time and said, Seth, would you please come on my show? Let me interview you. And he always says no. And right. we, I thought I had him for the Guinness event because mm-hmm. I emailed him and we thought, we thought it was going to work in the schedule, but it didn't work out. So right. I, but, but, you know, I put myself on the line every time and I mm-hmm. ask him, Knowing that Seth is a very, um, a, a very, uh, he, he's he's um, judicious with his words, mm-hmm. so he's, he's, his emails are always very um, terse sounding. Right. I know, but that's just him. Yes, exactly. And so you know, like he's actually one time he sent me an email. And I had asked him if he would let me interview him, and he he just wrote back and said no. <laughs> But since then, his replies have been much nicer. But but mm-hmm. the, the beauty of that is I actually include that in my inventory of success. I actually include the number of times I've asked him because I believe there's a day when he'll say yes. Okay. And, of course, I don't know how that's going to happen. I haven't done my podcast in forever, and I don't mm-hmm. have any plans to resume it. So, um, But but at some point, I, I think maybe he'll say yes to something. And I might wait until he's old and retired. <laughs> 
But the point is, I keep asking. And mm-hmm. there are so many people who have said yes and, and who are, you know, kind of at that same, you know, legendary level mm-hmm. that I don't really worry too much about the fact that he says no. In fact, he's the first one I ask whenever I'm doing something um, and I'm going to ask a bunch of people for things. I ask him first because I know his no will be the most difficult because it is so terse sounding. And so I always just ask him first. <laughs> well, and and every time somebody tells you no, you, you probably learn from that. You know, had you worded it right? Could you have asked it differently? You know, did you give enough information? Did you give too much information? You know, we've all received those emails where a sentence would have been good, but you get eight paragraphs. Sure. And so you're, you're right. The, the failures we should turn them into successes. You know, what was it that, that you know, made it a failure and, and how can we turn it into a success? Mm-hmm. Or what's, and what's the lesson learned? What's the, what's the experience about? And, and you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not one of those people who says, you know, I think I'm, you know, everyone is put into my life for some kind of reason because mm-hmm. I feel like that's sort of an arrogant thing to say. And, and I, you know, assuming that I'm somehow the center of the universe and I'm not. <laughs> and so I don't think that way, but I do think that, there is a lesson to be learned from everyone mm-hmm. around you and from every experience that you have, which is, I think, a different thing than saying, you were put right. here to teach me something, so teach mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's a different perspective, but, but I do think, you know, I'm, it's important to look for the lessons instead of to, you know, sort of get mired down in, in failure or lack mm-hmm. of success. Right. Well, and I think one of the biggest lessons is, you have to ask. Oh, yes. You know, they they can't say yes or no if you don't ask. You know, the the least they're going to do is ignore you. You know, they might say no, but heavens, they might say yes. You know, and 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 I think that's probably one of the things that people have come to me with a lot. They'll say, "Well, how can I go ask so and so? They're so important. They're so <laughs> busy." Well, right. You know, and and like I said, at least they ignore you. And then I figure, you know, I do the, well, they didn't get my message. It got caught in their spam filter, blah, blah, blah type of thing. But, and then of course I ask again. If I don't hear from them, I ask again. Now, I don't, you know, I try to not pester. But, you know, it, it's kind of the Seth Godin thing. At some point they will respond. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even if it is, stop asking me. Yeah, and you know, there's a wonderful book that I I actually listened to it on, this is how old it, this is how long ago I listened to it. I listened to it on CD, which I actually mm. highly recommend for this particular book mm-hmm. because it's really kind of lovely. Um, it's a book by Mark Victor Hansen and Jack Canfield, and it's called The Aladdin Factor. And it is a magnificent book about asking Mm-hmm. Because um, the idea is, you know, if you don't, if you want to get the wishes, you have to ask for the wishes, right? From the Aladdin, Aladdin's lamp. Mm-hmm. Well, if okay. you don't ask, you don't get. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was it was a really uh, the, when I when I listened to this book, it was kind of a pivotal time in my business, and I listened to it to kind of bolster my courage for the asking, mm-hmm. and you know, that's kind of important in sales and and you know, converting people into clients and customers, and so. I thought I'd better learn this, and, and it's just a the Aladdin Factor is a is a great book. I highly recommend. I make it great. required reading for a lot of my clients. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that, and and I think that is probably one of the biggest hurdles that we have as a business person. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if you're you're male or female. Of course, you know men are a little bit more out there. You know, <laughs> they're like, okay, well, whatever. I'm going to ask. But it is something, you know, we don't ask for business. We don't ask for referrals. We don't ask for any of that because we think, well, you know, they'll think we're pushy. They'll think, you know, and that comes back to that brain junk. You know, stop having those conversations. I ask for everything. <laughs> and I, I, in my personal life, in my professional life, um, I really think it's important to get over that. And honestly, the more you ask, the better. Um, I, right. I read trying to think now what this was. I read a blog post oh, a few months ago and it was about, I can't remember what this was, but it was basically this guy decided that for, I don't know, like 30 or 90 days, I think he was going to ask for something unreasonable oh. every single day, mm-hmm. ask for mm-hmm. something unreasonable, which I thought was really interesting because it's easy to ask for things that are reasonable, but right. he would go into, uh, like he went into like a Jamba Juice and they had a bunch mm-hmm. of oranges, and he asked, would you just sell me, like, a whole bunch of oranges, or would you just give me some oranges? Uh-huh. And they said, well, or he asked if they would sell them oranges, help sell him oranges. And then they said, well, we can't sell the oranges because we use them for juice, but I'll just give you an orange. Uh-huh. So they just gave him an orange. And, and he, he uh-huh. over time, he asked for more and more outlandish things, and he got a lot of weird, cool things that he never would have expected people to say yes mm-hmm. to. 
And what he realized was at the end of the 90 days, asking for things was really easy for him. Even asking for unreasonable, crazy things that he thought everyone would say no to, he had no problem doing it. But what he also Mm -hmm. learned was there was sort of a, a bell curve that over time when after after the 90 days was over, he stopped asking for things on a daily basis and it became more and more difficult. So ask for stuff and keep asking. Right. right. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, whether you're asking in person, whether you're asking on social media, there I'll get in the plug for the, the radio program. <laughs> you know, you, you have to ask and, and ask more than once. You know, the, the, especially if you're asking, you know, just a general question, say on, on Facebook or on LinkedIn, because the right people might not have seen that post. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's okay now, you know, don't ask 20 times in one day, but keep asking those questions. And and it's funny because when we're tiny kids, one of the first words that so many people learn is why. <laughs> <laughs> and and we're kind of trained to not ask that anymore. And it's funny because I think that is something we should, you know, we've, we've gotten out of maybe it's that childlike innocence or something where, you know, we think people will think we're rude, we're pushy, you know, all of those other brain junk things. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, go ahead and ask. And, and, it, if you ask, somebody else has probably had the same question too. You know, I always like the people that, and I did this. I was actually in a seminar the other day, and I raised my hand and I said, "I have a stupid question," <laughs> and they all said, "There's no stupid of questions." <laughs> um, but that is so true. You know, there's no unique thought or question anymore. So if you have that question, other people have that question also. I do think it's an interesting thing that we we ha- I think we should make sure we, people know. You know, there there is a right way to ask, and there's mm-hmm. a right way to position your business. And you you know, certainly mm-hmm. in social media, you know, if you're right. going to ask for business, or you're going to ask for people to buy, or you're going to ask for referrals, there's a way mm-hmm. to do it, and that gets lost a lot. And and it mm-hmm. it ends up that you know you do people do seem pushy because they're mm-hmm. constantly posting about their business, and there's not enough. You know, I I adhere pretty strongly to well, I would say sort of an eighty twenty seventy thirty rule. Uh, in social media that I post either, you know, personal or friendly Mm -hmm. content, or I post other people's content. And then the rest of that, that smaller percentage is my own promotional stuff. Mm -hmm. And I try to kind of spread it out a lot. Um, The other thing is there's a sandwich that I learned from Bob Berg that I think is a Mm -hmm. wonderful sandwich to add on to anything that you ask for. And I do it just as a a matter of practice uh, on a daily basis now that whenever I ask for something, um, I, I end it with, the sandwich, which is, I understand if you can't, I hope you will, mm-hmm. but if you can't, totally fine. Right. The sandwich. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a really interesting thing that you're giving someone an out so that they don't mm-hmm. feel like you're being pressury or smarmy or pushy. And it mm-hmm. gives them a way to either gracefully exit without creating some sort of awkwardness between you mm-hmm. or say yes. Mm-hmm. More often than not, they say yes. But right. <laughs> Well, and then, of course, there is the very important thank you. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even if they didn't help you, you know, say, hey, thanks. You know, maybe next time, you know, or, or all of the, you know, as, as you, you know, mentioned with Seth Godin, he tells you no. It's like, okay, well, thanks, yeah, but I'll keep asking. I, and that's exactly what I always <laughs> say. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for letting me know. Looking mm-hmm. forward to your, your response next time. <laughs> right, right. You know, and, and so it's, it's so important. And, and I think... You know, it was interesting. I I didn't do the workbook uh, as, you know, and and the homework assignments in your book as I was reading. I know. Well, that's because I was reading quickly for the the program, but I will go back. And I think one of the things, and I love books that do this, because when you have to stop and write things down, Mm -hmm. you think about it. Mm -hmm. You know, as I was buzzing through them, of course, those little things kind of in my head, but stopping and writing them down that's the key part and and that's one of the reasons why I think your book is so valuable is it has those homework assignments in it and then you know you uh, further on in the book it's you refer back to some of those so you can't skip ahead right right. that's one of those tricky things too we all think oh I'm just going to go to the chapter that pertains to me it really is something that you need to do from start to finish well and here's something else that I think is kind of interesting is that you actually should hand write it out because there is something that happens in the brain differently when you Mm -hmm. hand write things versus Mm -hmm. when you type them. Mm -hmm. And I would, I'm curious though, I, it's an interesting thing. I'd love to know if there's been any experiments that have 
kind of updated that. I wonder if we're shifting now because so many people type versus I, I wonder if that's a different thing now. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. The, the research used to show or did show, mm-hmm. and, and I have no knowledge of updated research that suggests something different, but the mm-hmm. research used to show that there was something neurological that happened in your brain when you were handwriting. There's something from the hand-eye coordination that made something that you were handwriting mm-hmm. lodge more effectively in your brain somehow. Right. I don't know the science of it, but um, it's more impactful. And uh, certainly if you're working to um, change something, um, mm-hmm. I once I when I was um, my first major in college was violin performance. And so, you know, in my growing up years, I played violin, you know, quite, mm-hmm. kind of a lot. And so um, I had a teacher who was very frustrated with me because I had one finger that was not in the right place and mm-hmm. it was always wrong. And so finally he said, you know what, I want you to write a thousand times. And he gave me a sentence to write about, you know, putting my finger in the right place. Uh-huh. And I'll tell you what my finger was in the right place for the rest mm-hmm. of you know, time. It still mm-hmm. is in the right place. So there's something about handwriting that makes things different because I couldn't well, copy and paste that. <laughs> I'd almost think that it's, it's even more so now because we type more than ever. You know, we text, we, yeah. you know, we're, we're at our computers. So when you, when you have to write, our brains really do engage differently because it's kind of that lost art. You know, I've, I've seen, you know, all sorts of schools now that they're not teaching cursive writing and, yeah. you know, and, and all of those things. And it's like, no, you know, it, it, you do think about it differently when you handwrite it. And I think that's, that's very important to remember. And, and I don't know if you did this on purpose or just to save space, but in your book, you don't have fill in the blanks. You know, you have to actually go and get paper. So this is, is more of the process to you know, really be thinking about your answers. Right. And of course, you know, we did make a workbook that people can download from the website. So they have, mm-hmm. the, you know, they can just print it out and they have the lines. Right. <laughs> Right. Well, yeah, because we do have to make it a little simpler for people. You know, some of us are lazy. I like to make it easy and the exercise questions Mm -hmm. are right there, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. right. (laughs) Well, Susan, now I want to talk about one of the other great concepts in your book, um, and that's your target market. Mm. Because so many businesses... They they don't fine tune it and then they don't fine tune it enough. Um, you know, I attend a lot of networking events and I obviously network a lot online and, and I'm assuming you do too. And, you know, I, I always like the 30 second spiel <laughs> where people are told, now tell us who your target market is. And the, you get these people who stand up and they very sweetly smile and they say, everyone. Uh, I know. Never See, I'm that way. <laughs> I just want to beat them about the head with a wet noodle because... Yeah, it's never everyone. Starbucks knows that not everyone is their audience. Walmart knows. Nike knows. Coca-Cola knows. You know, all of those big successful businesses know that not everyone in the world is their target market. So talk to us about how to really fine tune and hone in on who that target market is. Yeah, target market is an interesting one because people are uh, small business owners are often terrified to mm-hmm. choose a target market because they think right. if I choose a target market, I'll never be able to work with anyone who isn't in that target market, mm-hmm. and that's not. True. I'm losing money. Yeah, that's not true. Mm-hmm. The first thing is you're you know when you don't choose a target market, you're a little fish in a really big pond, mm-hmm. and it makes it very difficult for people to find you and choose you because you mm-hmm. haven't given them any information that lets them know you can solve my problems. So if, let's say, for example, you're a coach and you just say, I'm a coach for everyone, I can do, I can help everyone, then how do I know that you know enough about me and the kind of person I am to solve my particular problems? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you say, I am a coach who specializes in helping women grieve the loss of their husbands or, or partners, then you could actually really get a lot of clients and become known for that. That doesn't mean you can't mm-hmm. help them with other things. It doesn't mean that you can't help men grieve the loss of their spouses or partners, but right. um, you can certainly, you know, make a name for yourself. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't set out to make a name for myself as a digital marketing strategist, believe me, but it happened. And, and that's good for me because it has brought a lot of business my way. And mm-hmm. certainly uh, brought business my way in a way that I never, ever could have gotten by being a generalist. Mm-hmm. Well, and 
I think so many people, and it doesn't matter if they're, you know, a, a brand new business or they've been in business a long time, they're thinking that they're going to leave money on the table. Um, you know, and, and again, I'm going to talk about a conversation I saw on Facebook the other day where somebody was saying, you know, they were getting ready to run advertisements. And obviously, you know, if you're running ads on Facebook, it gives you the capability to really really narrow down who you're reaching. Right. And so this person said, well, you know, they weren't putting an age range because they wanted to hit everybody. And Why? but their their product isn't for everybody. You know, the, and and I'm thinking, so you want a 15-year-old to see it and a 90-year-old. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, that was, yeah. you don't want to do that. You're right. paying for clicks. They're they're not going to convert. It's a terrible idea. And I know. And you know, and, and they and then they said, well, but the 15 year old could tell their mom to buy it. Ugh, okay, well, that's not going to happen. We all know that. And I don't even have teenagers. Um, but you know, they were they were saying, but they wanted the numbers because, of course, Facebook tells you, you know, you start off saying, okay, mm -hmm. I want this ad. Okay, it's going to reach two million people, and then you start fine tuning it down, and and pretty soon it's down to a fairly small number in the grand scheme of a Facebook world. And that's where so many people panic. They're like, well, it's only going to be seen by 500 people. Well, uh, no, I want it to be seen by 5,000, by 50,000. But that's what people don't understand. They don't understand that those 500 people are literally they're cherry the picked. Right. Yes, they're the they're right the people. Right 500. <laughs> oh, it breaks my heart, I think, because um, I think Facebook has lured us into, and, and not just Facebook, but Twitter as well. Mm -hmm. They've right. lured us into believing that it's numbers that, that is good, mm -hmm. right? How many likes do you have? How many friends do you have? And those numbers are meaningless. They are 100% right. meaningless. Mm -hmm. What matters is whether or not people are converting into making purchases with your business. Mm -hmm. Are you right. making more money? I don't care how many likes you have. There is certainly something to be said for optics. And it looks mm -hmm. good if you have a lot of likes. Okay, there's some mm -hmm. social proof there. But at some point, it's really about, is this putting more bank in your wallet? Like, yes. come on, mm -hmm. are they converting? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and, you know, this is this is the old-time marketing concept. You know, I'm, I'm old school here where, you know, the the newspaper would tell you, well, you, you can get 100,000 impressions right. by this ad. And, of course, an impression is an eyeball. But, you know, or television commercials, you know, heavens, you advertise on the right program and you could have millions of people see it. But it it comes back to that, that number, you know, if only five people are your target audience, well, then why waste the time, the effort, the money, all of those going for all of those, those other target audiences. And then one of the things you had in your book that was, it wasn't the light bulb, but it was one of those things that, that reinforced my idea was the the product pricing, mm -hmm. you know, so you figured out who your target market is and you've got it down to that, that woman who is 35 to 45, who runs her own business out of her home and has teenagers, you know, so you, you get this pretty finite thing, but are you priced appropriately? Right. Are you overpriced? You know, are you underpriced? You know, we've all seen the people that sell things, you know, their product or their service or give it away for free. And then people see no value in it. So it's, you know, that's part of this whole scheme also is you have to price things appropriately. Right, right. Yeah, it's all, I mean, it's it's funny. It's like this, um, it's like this big puzzle and all the pieces are important. And if you don't have all the pieces in place, then you can't see the picture or mm -hmm. the picture is missing something. And, and pricing is very important, um, you know. Most of my classes on business in blue jeans are really cheap. <laughs> and there's a reason for that, because when you have a business called business in blue jeans, you know, you're talking about mostly the, you know, small business owner, the home based mm -hmm. entrepreneur, the mm -hmm. people who want to do business in their blue jeans. Right. And so, you know, we're looking at startups and, and you know, mm -hmm. certainly, you know, if we're, we're talking about startups with venture capital, they've got money to burn. But at the same time. Uh, most of those businesses are not the people with money to burn. Mm -hmm. So we price mm -hmm. appropriately. Um, and, and that's why, you know, the, the other services we offer are a little higher because, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot more to it. But I think right. you do have to think through who is going to buy this. And, and mm -hmm. you, know, you have to ask people who are in their target. So many, so many business owners make the mistake of asking friends what should my name mm -hmm. be? Or, you know, they post on, I, I see this all the time. They post, they on, post Facebook. on Facebook. What should my business name be? I'm like, gosh, mm -hmm. stop it. These people who are answering are not giving you the information you need because they are mm -hmm. not in your target market. And, and you should not be asking them what your name should be. Mm -hmm. But it's so hard that I know it's a challenge for people. But right. 
but the the issues of pricing, the issues of what to produce and and you know what to give to people and what you know how to solve their problems, you should be asking people who are in that target market. And and the beauty of really taking the time and putting in the effort to choose a target market and get really clear about who they are is that not only will they tell you everything you need to know from mm-hmm. what how to create a brand to what colors your brand should should use to mm-hmm. um, you know what products and services to create to you know how to price them and how to market them i mean they will tell you mm-hmm. everything right. but beyond that when when you get to know them very well they will give you you know everything in terms of mm-hmm. of you know you'll be able to say i am an expert in this specific group of people these are the people mm-hmm. i know better than they know themselves so well that i can solve the things that keep them up at night mm-hmm. and that's what you want Right. Well, and it's it is kind of a circle because sometimes you discover that your target market isn't the right target market. Um, I offered a series of seminars here in Atlanta and and it was a LinkedIn training. It was a four hour training, which is normally going to be, you know, fairly expensive price. But I was starting out, you know, we've only lived here in Atlanta for three years. And so I thought, well, you know, I need to price it a little bit more appropriately. I figured out where I wanted to have the seminar. (coughs) Excuse me. Then I even gave people discounts. So, you know, I'm I'm working through this whole thing and I'm still thinking, oh, this is a great price. It's a great subject. And people didn't sign up. (coughs) So when I asked them, why didn't you sign up? I had not one, but two people who I thought were my target market tell me, well, I couldn't pay my electric bill that month if I if I did your seminar. Yeah. Now, mind you, the seminar, the price was under $70, under $70. So this was not a lot of money. And I came to the realization that fabulous people, but not my target market. Right. You know, and, and, and it wasn't, gee, I wanted to make more money. Okay, yes, there's always that factor in there. We have to eat. We have to pay rent. Right. We have to have fun. <laughs> but for who I was trying to reach, they just weren't the right target market. Well, I think, you know, that that's a good point. I think the, the question has to be, you know, a balance between mm-hmm. who wants what I have to offer mm-hmm. and who – Am I great at working with? So, right. you know, I, I'm I, I'm the first person to say that one of the reasons my business name is Business in Blue Jeans is because I am. If if you are IBM, and mm-hmm. you are wearing lots of suits, and you want to stay in that mindset and and mm-hmm. stay in the traditional business mm-hmm. mindset, I'm not your girl. Right. I'm simply not. I am not going to be a good fit for you. Now, if you recognize that the world is changing and evolving and you're going to have to shake things up to grow your business and change your corporate culture so you can attract more, you know, more millennials and, and mm-hmm. you know, more cutting edge, you know, people in, in the industry, then I'm a great fit for you. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think the most important thing is to really get a clear picture of who are you, who mm-hmm. are you great at working at or working with, what are you really good at and what do you enjoy doing? Mm-hmm. And kind of get a, a picture of who wants what you have to offer or who do you want to reach and then what do they need that you can deliver. Right. So right. once you kind of figure out like, okay, this is the industry space I'm in. This is the vertical I'm in. Then you can start to look at, well, what do they need? You know, like what, mm-hmm. are, what do people really need and what am I really well equipped to, to deliver? And you mm-hmm. can match up those two things and, you know, have a really good target market. And I think right. that's, that's how we do it. So it's not necessarily mm-hmm. one before the other. It's kind of a cyclical process, but it's just putting all those puzzle pieces into the into the board. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Well, and we're not saying ignore the people who can't afford you. You know, there's there's certainly a lot of ways to have free things to offer them, sure. things like that. I interviewed David Newman, who is is um, this expert in in marketing, and he said that he actually gives away about ninety five percent of his his uh, service but the demand that he creates for that five percent will pay almost anything he asks um you know and, and so there's kind of that that cross thing there his target market really is those that five percent because they're the ones who are going to pay but you know it's and it was it was an interesting thought process and you know i don't think 
most of us can afford a 95-5 split, but maybe it's, you know, 70% 30 or, you know, all of those various things. And, and there are people who will say don't ever give anything away for free, um, you know, and, and they have valid points also. But I think one of the things, and, and you, you walk through this process in your book, is you, you have to think about this. You know, what are you going to charge? How are you going to charge? You know, all of those various things. And do you have to adjust your price? You know, do you have to adjust who you're trying to reach? Do you have to adjust what you're offering? It's such an interesting question. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, the, the, the free percentage of free debate. Uh, certainly, you know, we give a lot away for free at Business and Blue Jeans, but I think that mm-hmm. that discussion is a very complex one, probably for another day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's an argument that I have frequently or a debate that I have with David Merriman Scott and Brian Halligan, um, who are great friends and, um, Brian Halligan being the CEO of HubSpot, which mm-hmm. they, they're famous for giving stuff away, but um, you have to really balance, you know, am I, you know, what your service is, and am I giving mm-hmm. away materials or or products or things or content mm-hmm. that serves the people who are going to hire me? Like, what what is right. the the you know, you really have to you know get kind of cerebral about it and and determine whether or not that's going mm-hmm. to be an effective marketing strategy mm-hmm. for you. Right. Well, and there are people who just want free. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's funny. I always love it when people say, hey, I'm going to Costco today to eat lunch <laughs> <laughs> because they're going through all of the little little sample things and, and eating everything. But, you know, maybe they hit 10 of those little booths and they're getting, you know, 10 free bites of whatever. One of those, they might go, ooh. I have to buy this. This was so good. And so that's kind of where that thought process comes in is when you've given something away for free, they may say, oh, this really is good. You know, and, or maybe they can't afford it, but they're going to tell somebody else, hey, you know, I know you were looking for this, you know, and, and, and I just, you know, I, I had a free sample of it. Um, you give away a free chapter of your book on, on your website. It's, you know, it, it is sometimes it's a teaser to do things like that, but it's, you know, it. It also shows that you have great content. You know, sometimes people just have to sample before they really want to buy. I, I think the mistake that people make, though, is assuming that, um, that the free stuff is enough. And, mm-hmm. and there is a point at which, like, you know, I, and, and we, you know, by the way, I, if I'm at Costco, I will eat lunch there. I, I'm not, yes. I'm, I have no shame. Mm-hmm. I will. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but um, I think when you're looking at, um, you know, as a business owner, you know, we, you know, I think there are a lot of people who will look at a marketing strategy and model their marketing strategy after what someone else is doing, or they will attend a free webinar and think that they're getting everything there is to know mm-hmm. or enough. And the problem is that there's so much more uh, that goes right. on behind the scenes that most people mm-hmm. don't see. Um, there are a lot of uh, the, the great, well-known internet marketers who are known for their internet marketing um, mm-hmm. they employ an enormous amount of direct marketing. So they are right. actually putting postcards in the mail to people and direct mail pieces and letters. And there's a whole science behind that. And so mm-hmm. there's so much out there that uh, the most successful business owners are doing. The, the free stuff will give you a sense of it, but I don't think it'll mm-hmm. give you everything. And so that's always the challenge to try to get people to understand you know, there's just an awful lot there that, that you want to make sure you, you don't just skip over it because it's not free. Sometimes you do have to invest in your business. Well, and when we're promoting our free or our discount or whatever it is, it's important that we have to remember as the business owner or as the entrepreneur or whoever to, to add on that extra, oh, and by the way, this was just a sample of. Right. You know, if you want the full series, if you want the full book, you know, all of those various things so that people don't think, oh, well, this was all I needed, Um, you know, and 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 to do it, you know, as we mentioned at the very start of the program in the way that's not the used car salesman, it's, you know, there's there's an appropriate way to remind people, hey, you know, this was just a 15 minute webinar. If you'd like more information, here's where you go. Exactly. You know, you didn't beat them over the head with it. Don't send them 500 emails afterwards. You know, all of those various things. You mentioned HubSpot. You know, you get one follow-up email when you've done things with HubSpot. They don't pester you over and over again. No, but they do have great free stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What's weird about HubSpot, their free stuff stuff doesn't always, like, I, I feel no compulsion to buy from HubSpot. Right. Because their free stuff has nothing to do with 
getting me in, you know, to use their mm-hmm. service. And I'm always mm-hmm. curious about that, but it keeps right. them front of mind for me. If I ever needed a service oh. or wanted a service like that, that right. would be the one I would mm-hmm. use, obviously. Yep. <laughs> yeah. They're they're very good at all that. Well, Susan, holy cow. You know, it's, it is always amazing. I, I could probably do a 36-hour webcast, videocast, because I can just talk so much. And I always have such great guests. But we are at the top of the hour. So before we end up, please tell everyone how they connect with you and how they find your information online. It's just so easy. It's just businessinbluejeans.com. And all your links are there. Yeah. I always love it when people say, follow me on social media, and then I can't find their links. <laughs> it's all at the top of my website. It's so easy. <laughs> and it is. It's a fabulous book. And we made it through, what, two chapters? <laughs> so this, this obviously means that we have to have you on again because there is so much great information there. And it doesn't matter if you're a startup business or somebody who's been in business for a very long time. It always kind of helps to reinforce maybe the, the thought and the thought processes that you've gone through. And maybe you do need to make some changes in your business. Absolutely. You never know. Great. Well, Susan, thank you again so much for being on the program today. Thank you. And it's been a delight. And to everyone else out there, make sure that you go to businessinbluejeans.com. If you're not already connected, and it's it's funny because here I'm going to promote my own name, um, you you need to follow me, and it's very easy to find. It's debcareer.com, D-E-B-K-R-I-E-R.com. And until next time, have a fabulous week. Thanks for listening to Deb Career, your social media friend. Tune in next time to listen to more great tips, techniques, and trends for using social media. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.